Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I, I have to confess there are more people here than I thought there would be. Uh, it being Father's Day, um, we have a group of nine, I believe, who left earlier this morning on their way to Nashville for an impact at David Lipscomb University. And so I knew they'd be gone, and I uh, knew that some other folks were going to be gone, but uh, you're here. We're delighted for that, and uh, wish a very happy Father's Day to all of the uh, fathers in uh, the audience. Uh, Kelly mentioned earlier that Robert and Elizabeth, are, this is their last Sunday with us, and also Anna Matchett, uh, this is her last Sunday. She will be leaving next Sunday uh, for Penn State University, uh, where she'll go and study uh, nursing, and uh, so we're going to miss all these people. So that's three. Nobody else can leave, okay? <laughs> we're, we're just now getting folks back, so... No more leaving, uh, but we do wish God's blessings on uh, Robert, Elizabeth, and Anna uh, as they go. Did you hear the one about the frog who went to the fortune teller? Now, let me say up front, this is not a true story. <laughs> the frog goes to the fortune teller and, and asks her to tell his fortune, and the fortune teller looks into her crystal ball, and after a few minutes, she says, I see in your future a beautiful young woman. She's going to become fascinated with you. She's going to get very close to you. She's going to learn everything she possibly can about you. Well, the frog was just getting very excited about all this, and he says, where is this going to happen? Will this be down by the river as, as she floats past in a canoe and we'll meet? Fortune teller said no, and he said, well, will it be at a picnic maybe beside the lake? And the fortune teller said no, and she, he said, well, then where will it be? And she said, in a biology lab. <laughs> it's not always good to know the future. <laughs> and maybe that's why God doesn't always let us in on what's coming down the road. But every once in a while in Scripture, he pulls back the curtain a little bit and gives us a glimpse of things to come. Usually it's not in great detail. Usually it's more general than that. But enough to give us some encouragement to put our trust in him and to stand firm when times become difficult. Because God not only knows the future, God controls the future. And, and in this final vision that Daniel has, that's what he wants to emphasize to him, that he knows the future and he can reveal as much of it as he chooses to do so to Daniel, but he also is in control of all that Daniel will see. And, and what an encouragement that must have been to Daniel, what an encouragement it ought to be to us as well. Now, we started talking about this final vision last week because it's in chapter 10, the vision itself. And what we have in chapter 11 is a heavenly messenger appearing to Daniel and uh, letting him know what that vision is about. He had the vision of the heavenly messenger. That's what's described in chapter 10. Now the messenger speaks to tell him what's going to be taking place, beginning in chapter 11 and verse 2, and he shows him what the future holds. He says, I will show you the truth. I'll show you the truth. And what follows is a rather complex story. Uh, I debated about whether or not to have all of it read as part of the scripture reading. 
But I, I decided not to do that. By the way, this is the only time in our study of Daniel that we've not had the whole text read. But I just decided that wasn't going to be the thing to do because I wanted some of you to still be here when, when I got up. And, and the story gets kind of complicated, and it's a little bit hard to follow, but it's a story about kings and queens and princes and wars, and it's a little hard for us to follow. But to people who are familiar with the history of the ancient Near East, it's not hard to follow at all. Those who are familiar with, with that history recognize immediately the people and the events that are being described. In fact, it describes so precisely events that took place in the second century BC and beyond, but particularly in the second century, that as we've mentioned before, a lot of people are skeptical that this could possibly have been written 400 years earlier by Daniel. They just don't think that that's possible because it is so accurate. It is such an accurate portrayal of the things that took place in the second century BC. Uh, but I kind of wonder about people who think that about their conception of God. If he, what kind of God is he if he can't reveal the future? What kind of God is he? He must not be the Lord of history. And if he's not the Lord of history, then could he in fact and would he send his son and could he raise him from the dead? And could we have any hope at all? See, if he can't do everything, you have to wonder, can he do anything? So who and what are all these people and events that populate Daniel chapter 11? I want you to notice, first of all, that the people and the events described here have to do primarily with the future of the people of Judah. This is not the history of the world. This is the future of the people of Judah. It has to do primarily uh, with uh, a, a strip of land running from Egypt northward up to Syria. So it's kind of curving around the Mediterranean coast from Egypt all the way up to Syria. And if you know that geography at all, you know that right in the middle of all that is Judah. And so Judah is going to be caught in the middle. No matter what else happens, Judah is going to be in the middle of all of this action. Now, this fourth Persian king who's mentioned in verse, four, uh, verse 2, who becomes rich and powerful and attacks Greece, is none other than a man named Xerxes. And we know from the book of Esther as Ahasuerus. He's that king that Esther dealt with. He became the fourth king and the most powerful one uh, in that Persian empire. But then comes this mighty king of Greece who we're told does as he wills, but whose kingdom is broken and divided, but not divided among his posterity. Who is that? That's Alexander the Great. Remember we talked about Alexander the Great when we were uh, studying chapter 8. Because he was that, uh, that goat that destroyed the ram, the ram representing Persia. And then you have this male goat that attacks the ram and destroys him, breaks off his horns and, and uh, destroys him. And Alexander, you remember, died at the age of 32. And both of his young sons were murdered. And so he had no posterity to take over his empire and his kingdom was divided among four of his generals. Now, there are only two who are of interest to this period of history and to the people of Judah. And one of those was named Ptolemy, and Ptolemy ruled the area of Egypt. And the other one was named Seleucus, and he ruled the area of Syria. And those two and their descendants fought continually 
over the next few centuries with Judah being caught in the middle. So you've got these two who inherited portions of Alexander's kingdom who are constantly trying to defeat one another and take over all of that portion of the world. And Judah gets caught in the middle and gets trampled in the midst of it all. That's what all of this is about uh, when you read this rather complicated uh, story about this continual warfare that was being waged over what is called twice in this chapter, the glorious land. That's Judah, the glorious land. Remember how Daniel reveres the land, how Daniel wants to go back to Jerusalem. So the glorious land is Judah that gets mentioned twice in chapter 11. Now, the most troublesome of all those rulers, as far as the Jews were concerned, was again someone we talked about in connection with chapter 8, a Syrian ruler named Antiochus IV. Antiochus, remember, was that little horn in chapter 8. He is that little horn uh, who didn't really have much going for him. He really wasn't that capable. He really wasn't that powerful. But through treachery and deceit, he gained control over a, a significant portion of that part of the world. But remember that it's Antiochus who slaughtered tens of thousands of Jews as Daniel 11 says he tried to go into Egypt and conquer it, but he couldn't. And in frustration, he went back to the glorious land and he began to just slaughter people because he was so frustrated at not being able to carry out the things that he wanted to do. And he decided to just take it all out on the Jews. And so uh, he tried to abolish their faith and he... Uh, eliminated the morning and evening offerings in the temple. And he took a pig and he sacrificed it on the altar. This is on God's altar in the temple. Sacrificed a pig there, that unclean animal. And then erected a statue of Zeus in the temple. This is what Daniel describes as the abomination that brings desolation. It was an abomination and it brought desolation because the temple could no longer be used uh, until it later was cleansed. And so you have all of that going on. This desolation that brings abomination brought about by Antiochus IV. But opposed to him, opposed to him, verses 32 to 35, are the people who know their God. That's the way they're described. The people who know their God who take a stand firm and take action even though they suffer extreme persecution. And we get to chapter 12 and verse 1. He foretells a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. It's going to be the worst time of all, he says. But the people of God will be delivered. Persecution is going to intensify but the persecution will end. And then that great verse in chapter 12, verse 2, looking even further into the future, the heavenly being says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then finally in verse 4, Daniel is told to seal up the book until the time of the end. Notice there are two times of the end mentioned here. One is the time of the ending of Judah's persecution. The other is the end of time, the time of the absolute end. 
So that's what all of that complicated stuff going on in chapter 11 is about. It's about those nations fighting each other. It's about Judah getting caught in the middle. It is about the intense suffering of God's people. But the fact that God still is in control and he's going to bring that suffering and that persecution to an end. And, and at some point beyond that, he says, even those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Now, that's a lengthy and somewhat complicated series of events, but they reflect some profound truths. They're applicable for us as Christians as well, and we, we ought not to overlook them. One of them is a reminder that God's people are never promised an easy path in this life. Did you ever notice that reading the Bible? There is never a promise that things are going to be easy for those who follow in the ways of God. Now, it's important that we know this because there, there are some folks out there who will tell you otherwise. There are some folks out there, a lot of them are on television, who will tell you that if you do what God wants you to do, he's going to make everything go your way. You're going to be in good health and you're going to have everything you always wanted and, and God's going to make you prosperous and you're not going to worry about money anymore. All your bills will get paid and just, you know, all of those things. But you know, people who believe that, really don't pay attention to a lot of scripture. And there's some texts they will not preach. Let me give you an example. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. What did Jesus say? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is what? Hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. He describes the way to eternal life as a hard way. Why? Because you've got to be deliberate about it. You've got to want it. You've got to desire it. You've got to pay attention. You've got to be focused on your faith, focused on your God, or you don't make it. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world, but he said, while you're in it, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardship. Paul confirms that in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, he told Timothy. He's encouraging him not to be afraid. Don't be afraid to take your portion of it, he says, because everybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience persecution at some point. In Acts 14, verse 22, at the end of his first missionary journey, Paul went back and revisited the churches that he had established, and he was encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now think about this. These are new converts. These are people who have just become Christians. And Paul goes back to them and he says, I want you to be diligent. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be strong because there's going to be a lot of tribulations. But it's through those tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. People who believe that God intends for all of us to have an easy way if we follow Jesus don't really preach much about Christ crucified. They don't really tell people 
what Jesus told them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I can't find the verse where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, get ready because you're going to have wealth you don't know how to handle. I don't remember him saying that. He said, deny himself, take up your cross and follow me. There is no room in the theology of such people for a crucified Lord or only for a victorious Savior. Daniel 11 talks about the wise among the people. The wise among the people, he says, are those who know their God. And here's what he says about them. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder. For some days this is what's going to happen to them. They're going to have a hard time. They're going to undergo tribulation, just like Jesus said, just like Paul said. Why? Look at verse 35. So that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. It's for our purification. It's to get us ready. It's to get us ready for an eternal life that's beyond anything we could have ever have imagined. Jesus said the same to his followers. Paul told the same to his converts. John in Revelation predicted the same sorts of tribulation and in much the same words as in the book of Daniel. We have to be ready for it. We have to be sure that we are ready to endure it when it happens because we are raised with him, Paul said in writing to the Romans, provided that we suffer with him. Eternal life is worth it. God has never promised us an easy way. God has never said, do the things that I've laid out for you to do and everything's going to fall into place. He's never said that. He wasn't saying it to those people in the second century B.C. Jesus wasn't saying it in the first century A.D. Scripture isn't saying it to you and me now. It's telling us that we will not have an easy way, but that the way that we walk, we walk with God. And then walking with God, at the end of the day, God's going to bless us. And that's the second thing we don't want to under, overlook here in Daniel 11 and 12. Because God created it, we live in a moral universe. We live in a moral universe. And someday, all the wrongs of this world will be put right. You know, I don't blame folks at all, for, for wanting there to be justice in this life. I don't blame people for uh, wanting there to be some kind of recompense for the wrongdoing that takes place. I get that. But the problem is it doesn't happen in this life. But the reality is, in spite of all the evil that is done in the world, at the end of time, Daniels is told, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And then in the very next verse, he says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Did you know that Daniel 12, 2 is the only verse in the Old Testament that makes that promise? 
It's the only verse in the Old Testament that clearly says there will be a resurrection of the dead and there will be a judgment at that time. Everything will be put right. See, Judaism didn't have that concept until this time. Judaism didn't have that understanding. For Judaism, death was kind of a shadowy existence. There was an existence, but it wasn't a happy one. It was just kind of a shadowy thing. It was just the place of the dead. It was Sheol. And, and we're told in one place that God cannot be praised in Sheol. Good things don't happen there. There's no Father's Day in Sheol. There's no weekends in Sheol. It's just this shadowy existence. And nothing good ever really takes place in Sheol. And so this word coming in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 is an amazing truth. Daniel must have been somewhat stunned to hear it because what it promises is that at the end of time, everything's going to be put right. That's what judgment is about. You know, we think about judgment and we automatically think about fear and we shouldn't because judgment is that day when everything that you and I dislike about this world will be put right. That's the time when everything will be rectified. That's the time when all of the wrongs and the evils that are done will be made right. That's what judgment is all about. You see, this resurrection and judgment uh, is what makes the troubles of this life bearable because we know that someday justice will be done. Someday all the wrongs will be righted. Someday all sin will be punished. Someday, someday all faithfulness will be rewarded. We don't always see it in this life. We hope for it. We look for it. We complain about it sometimes, but we don't always see it. One of these days, Daniel 12, 2 says, we will. I want that life, don't you? I want that life where there's no sin, where there's no evil doing, where nobody's mistreated. I want that life where people don't get away with things they shouldn't get away with. I want that life where people who have lived faithfully to God don't suffer anymore. I want that life. I hope that we all want that life. Who wouldn't? But sadly, many people reject that life because they'd rather do what they want to do now and as a result forfeit what God is offering them in the future. Notice that Daniel 11 and 12, in Daniel 11 and 12, there are only two kinds of people. Only two kinds. There are the people who are seduced and deceived by the powers of this world, and then there are the people who know their God the wise among the people. If you want that life, be one of those people. Be one of the wise among the people and follow Christ. It's easier not to do that. It's easier not to follow Jesus. There's no question about that. But the end is a resurrection to shame and everlasting contempt. And then one more thing that we need to be sure we don't overlook in these chapters. As God's people, we have two assignments while we're waiting for the end. So what do we do? We're in this world. It's a world of wrong. It's a world of sin and evil. It's a world of injustice. What do we do while we're here? Do we just fold our hands and wait? 
Do we just bide our time? Is that what Scripture is telling us? No. Look at chapter 11, verse 32. The people who know their God do two things. The people who know their God, first of all, stand firm. They do not give up. They do not give in. They do not quit. Regardless of what the world throws at you, hold on to Christ and the hope of everlasting life in him. That's assignment number one. Stand firm. Assignment number two is to pray. We've seen that all the way through the book of Daniel, haven't we? What a great man of prayer he is. I never realized until making this particular study of Daniel how much you can learn about prayer just from this book. But prayer is what we're supposed to do. We've seen it over and over in the book of Daniel. We need to be praying for the world. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for those who are lost in sin. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for the end to finally come. The Bible teaches us to do that. Come, Lord Jesus, Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians. We need to be praying about all of those things. And we also need to make many understand Make many understand. Understand what? The wise are going to lead as many others as we possibly can to know Christ and to know what he has done for them and to understand that the grave isn't the end for any of us. You ever been to one of those funerals at a graveside and whoever's presiding says, well, this is, this is the uh, eternal home. This is the final resting place. No, it's not. Because scripture says someday when Jesus comes, we will all rise. That's not the final resting place. And because it's not the final resting place, we need to let people know that and to help them understand that they need to be prepared, that there's a resurrection coming and there's a judgment to follow that resurrection. So here's the question. Are you one of the wise who will inherit and shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever, in the words of Daniel 12. You can be. There's nothing keeping you from it. If you want to be one of the wise, remember that that's why Jesus came. So that no matter what else your future holds or what the future of the world holds, your future will be eternal life with God. He's offering that gift to you. If you will turn to him in faith and begin to follow him by being baptized into his death, having your sins washed away, being one of his people, and then standing firm. Begin by following him today and don't ever quit. And your future will be secured no matter what it is. If you're ready to make that step today, come and tell us. Let's stand together and sing.